Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. Now, in this episode of our podcast, we are continuing on in our sermon series called Villains. And all throughout this series, we're going to be exploring the stories of some of the most infamous villains we meet in the entire Bible. And we're exploring their stories to learn from their mistakes so that you don't become the villain in your own story. And today we're going to be exploring the story of King Herod. Now Herod was the king of the Jews, so he should have been a heroic king for his people. But when Herod finds out that Jesus has been born, he's going to commit one of the most villainous acts we find, not just in the Bible, but in all of human history. So what exactly made Herod a villain? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about in this sermon. So let's get right to it. Last week, we started into a brand new series of sermons here at Melbourne Heights called Villains. And during this series, we are exploring the stories of some of the most infamous villains that we find in the Bible. And we're exploring these stories for a reason. We're exploring these stories to learn from the mistakes that these villains make because we know that you don't want to become the villain in your own story. You don't want to become the villain in your own story. So by learning from the mistakes that these biblical villains make, we can make sure that we don't become the villain in our own stories. But before we dig in and start talking about the biblical villain we're going to be talking about today, I have a question that I want to ask you first. And here it is. What images come to your mind when you think of a villain? What images come to your mind when you think of a villain? Now, for some of us, when we think of a villain, we go full-blown stereotype with what a villain is supposed to look like. So when we think of a villain, we think of somebody who's going to be wearing a black top hat, and they're going to have a long, flowing black cape. We think of somebody who has a handlebar mustache that they're constantly twirling. We think of someone who likes to tie innocent women down onto the train tracks in cartoon stories. So when we think of a villain, we might think of somebody who looks like this person on the screen behind me. Now... We've got a bucket of candy. If you can tell me who this person is right up here in the front, you can get a piece of candy for yourself. So who is this villain? Phyllis? Not Dick Dastardly. Close. Snidely Whiplash. Very good. This is Snidely Whiplash from the old Dudley uh, Do-Right cartoons. But maybe you prefer your mustache-twirling villains to be chasing after kids who refuse to grow up. So maybe when you think of a villain, you think of somebody who looks like this character on the screen. Who knows who that is? Captain Hook. Very good. Of course, from Peter Pan. You guys can both get a piece of candy. I've got plenty in the bucket, I promise. All right. For others of us, whenever we think about a villain, we can't help but think of a personal experience we had with villains in our own lives. And for a lot of us, the first place that we experience villainous access from bullies when we're on the playground way back in elementary school. So for a lot of us, when we think about villains, we think about somebody who's bigger than us and stronger than us, but they may not necessarily be the brightest people around. So for some of us, when we think about a villain, we think of characters who have no problem telling us things like, make like a tree and get out of here. So when we think about villains, we think about people who look like this character on the screen. Who knows who that is? It's Biff Tannen from the Back to the Future trilogy. You can come up and get a piece of candy if you knew that answer. Or for others of us, when we think about bullies, we don't think about ones who say much at all. Some bullies never say a word. So sometimes when we think about villains, we think about people who look like these guys on the screen. Who knows who they are? 
Crab and Goyle from the Harry Potter film series. Very good. All right, but still for others of us, when we think of villains, we think of these acts that they commit, these atrocious, evil things that they do, and we think that they can't possibly be human. So when we think of villains, we think of monsters who are capable of doing things that no normal human being would do. So when we picture villains, we picture these big monsters, and it helps that they have features that no ordinary human would have. So sometimes when we think of villains, we think of people who look like this character on the screen. Who knows who that is? It's not Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein's monster, if you want to be technical about it. And this is from a film adaptation of Mary Shelley's classic story. But, of course, it's always worth pointing out that if you've ever read Mary Shelley's story, Frankenstein's not really the bad guy in it. Or when you think of this kind of monster, there's another character that commonly comes to mind. We'll put his picture up on the screen right now. Who knows who that is? Darth Vader. Very good, of course, from the Star Wars film series. So those are some of the images that might come to our mind when we think about villains. But in just a second, I've got one more picture of a villain that I want to show you today. But I'm willing to guess that nobody thinks of a villain that looks quite like this particular character when you imagine what a villain will look like. So, David, go ahead and put the picture of this villain up on the screen. Who knows who this villain is? This is Lotso Bear. for those of you who aren't familiar with Disney Pixar films. And Lotso is the villain in Toy Story 3. Now, this is the way that the fine folks at Disney and Pixar describe Lotso Bear for us. They say that Lotso is a jumbo extra soft teddy bear with a pink and white plush body and a velvety purple nose. This lovable bear stands fuzzy heads and shoulders above other teddy bears because he smells like sweet strawberries. With a smile that will light up your child's face and a belly that just asks to be hugged, Lotso Huggin' Bear is sure to become a bedtime necessity. Now, I know what you may be wondering, especially if you've never seen the movie Toy Story 3. How is it possible for that cute, cuddly, lovable, huggable, adorable teddy bear that smells like strawberries to be a villain? Well, the truth is that Lotso Huggin' Bear wasn't initially a villain. But when he is abandoned by his original owner, Lotso ends up going to the Sunnyside daycare in Toy Story 3. And it's while he's at Sunnyside that Lotso becomes bitter. And he ends up developing a pyramid of power to protect himself, even at the expense of other toys. So as hard as it is to believe that cute, cuddly, huggable, lovable, adorable teddy bear that smells like strawberries actually becomes a pretty ruthless tyrant inside of the Toy Story film. And Lotso actually has Lotso in common with the biblical villain that we're going to be talking about this morning. And the story of this villain, we find it in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. Now, the book of Matthew, it's the first book that we find inside of the New Testament. And there are essentially two kinds of books in the New Testament. You have books that tell you the story about Jesus, and then you also have letters that were written to help you be a better follower of Jesus. Well, the book of Matthew, it's the first kind of book. It tells us about Jesus. And one of the things that it tells us about is Jesus's birth. So in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to hear the story of Jesus's birth. But as you listen to this story, you'll realize that Matthew pays way more attention to the surrounding characters in his story than he does to Jesus. 
And I want you to focus in on how one of the characters reacts to the news that Jesus has been born. So Matthew chapter 2, we're going to start reading together in verse 1. Here's what he writes. Matthew says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the territory of Judea, during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. Now, in the verses that we just read, we meet King Herod. And what we learn about King Herod in these three verses is that when he hears that there is a newborn king of the Jews, that Herod is troubled by this news. And when you stop and you think about it just for a minute, it's not hard to figure out why Herod is troubled by this news. I mean, Herod is the current king of the Jews. And if there is a newborn king of the Jews, well, then that means that the current guy's job is in jeopardy, and it's not going to be long before the new guy takes over. So it's not really surprising to hear that Herod is troubled by the news of Jesus' birth. But what if I told you that there is more to this story? And what if I told you that there's more to this story that will actually make Herod's reaction to the news of Jesus' birth way more surprising to us? Let me see if I can explain what I mean. So in the passage that we just read in Matthew chapter 2, we learn that Herod is the king of the Jews. But according to at least one early historian, Herod is not just the king of the Jews. He may have also been Jewish himself. And that's because Herod claimed that he was a descendant of a prominent family in Israel that came back to Israel after the Babylonian exile about 500 years earlier. And based on some of the things that Herod did, you can make the case that he was a pretty good Jew. And that's because Herod's greatest claim to fame, aside from being the king of the Jews when Jesus was born, is that Herod also restored and rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, the most holy and sacred place for anyone of the Jewish faith. But saying that Herod rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem is a little bit like saying that Walt Disney World decided to build another little park in Florida after he finished Disneyland in California. And that's because when Herod started to rebuild the temple, the temple was still a pretty small place. It was about the size of the tabernacle that you can read about in the book of Exodus. And that happens to be about the same size as the room that we're all sitting in this morning. But when Herod starts to rebuild the temple, he doesn't just rebuild the temple. He also builds up all of the areas surrounding the temple. His project becomes so extravagant that it takes about 60 years to complete all of the work that Herod started. So I think that it is safe for us to say that anybody who's willing to put in that much time and effort and energy and money into building a temple for a faith is going to know something about that faith. And that matters because of something that the people of Israel, the Jews had believed for centuries before Herod ever became the king of the Jews. And the people of Israel, they had believed that God was going to send them a king. And this king was going to run off all of Israel's enemies, and this king was going to restore the kingdom of Israel once and for all. And the people of Israel, they commonly referred to this long-awaited king as the Messiah. So when the wise men come to Herod and they tell him about this newborn king of the Jews, they're not telling him about a threat to his throne. They're actually telling Herod that the long-awaited Messiah has finally arrived. 
this Messiah who is going to run off all of Israel's enemies, has finally arrived. This Messiah who's going to restore the kingdom of Israel once and for all has finally arrived. This long-awaited Messiah has come. So Herod, as a Jewish person, he should have been excited by this news. He should have celebrated this news. He should have gone running through the doors of his palace to go and see this newborn king for himself. But that's not exactly what Herod does in the story. And as we pick back up in Matthew chapter 4, we'll see how Herod really responds to this good news. Matthew chapter 2, starting back in verse 4. Here's what it says. Matthew writes, Herod gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts, and he asked them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, O Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me, so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went. And look, the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was born. When, the, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. When Herod knew the Magi had fooled him, he grew very angry. He sent soldiers to kill all the children in Bethlehem and in all the surrounding territory who were two years old and younger, according to the time that he had learned from the Magi. So in this story, Herod hears the news that the long-awaited Messiah has been born. This is news that Herod and all of his people, the people of Israel, had been waiting centuries to hear. This is news that Herod should have been celebrating. But instead of celebrating the news that Jesus had been born, Herod orders what may very well be one of the most evil and atrocious acts of violence that we find not just in the Bible, but in history. He orders the execution of innocent people. But why does Herod do that? Well, to answer that question, it helps if you know a little bit more about who Herod really was. And Herod rises to power during a very tumultuous time in Israel's history. He rises to power when the people of Israel are under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. But there's still one family in Israel that is continuing to fight for Israel's independence, and that family is the Hasmonean family. Well, Herod, who starts out as the governor over Galilee, makes a deal with the Roman Empire that will allow him to become king of the Jews if he gets rid of this Hasmonean family, the one who's constantly trying to lead rebellions to overthrow the Roman Empire. So Herod ends up becoming the king of the Jews by the time he's about 40 years old, but he's only able to do that after he makes a tentative alliance with Mark Antony, the famed general, that gets rid of the leader of the Hasmonean family, a guy named Antagonus. 
And the first thing, one of the first things that Herod does after he becomes king is he gets rid of 45 of Antagonus' closest followers to make sure that he's established himself safely on the throne. From there, Herod makes the shrewd political decision to marry into the Hasmonean family to alleviate any chance of future rebellions being led by this family. But even after doing all of that, Herod can't seem to avoid paranoia over the fact that his family may be out to get him. So Herod starts getting rid of other members of his family. It starts with a nephew that Herod himself appointed to be a high priest in Israel. But this nephew becomes too popular, so Herod decides he has to get rid of that threat to his throne. From there, Herod gets rid of his grandfather-in-law, then his mother-in-law, then his own wife to protect his throne. And even after doing all of those things, Herod continues to be afraid that his family is going to overthrow him as the king. That leads Herod to write seven different wills in his lifetime that appoint seven different heirs to take over the the throne and the crown of Israel from him. And he even, as he starts getting older, he gets rid of his three oldest sons to make sure that none of them try to claim the crown from him in his old age. And the scary thing is, Those are the broad brushstrokes of Herod's life. There is no telling how many people lost their lives so that King Herod could sleep a little bit easier at night. So you can call Herod cruel. You can call Herod manipulative. You can call Herod power hungry. You can call Herod paranoid. And all of those things would still be gross understatements about who this person really was. But it's because of this nature of Herod that he doesn't celebrate the good news that the king of the Jews has been born, but instead orders the execution of innocent people. It's because Herod knows that if there is a newborn king of the Jews, there can only be one king. But Herod wants to make sure that he does whatever is necessary to make sure that he is that king. So this is how a person, goes from celebrating the good news that the long-awaited Messiah has arrived to becoming a mass murderer. This is how a man who should have been a heroic king for all of his people becomes the villain in his own story. Herod becomes the villain because ultimately Herod is only worried about himself. And I know that this may hurt your feelings to hear a little bit. I know I may step on your toes just a bit when I say this, because none of us want to think that we could possibly have anything in common with a tyrant like Herod. But all of us run the risk of becoming villains in our story for the same reason that Herod became a villain in his story. You become a villain when you make everything about you. You become a villain when you make everything about you. Now, don't get me wrong here. All of us are capable of being selfish. All of us want to find the best parking spot at Kroger when we're out grocery shopping. All of us want the waiter or the waitress who's serving us at lunch to really focus their attention on us. But you run the risk of becoming a villain in your story when you start thinking that the world revolves around you. And you start seeing other people as simply existing to serve you or to make your life easier. So if you don't want to become the villain in your story, you've got to learn a lesson from the mistakes that Herod made. You need to learn something that Herod never did. And that's that a villain makes life about us, but a hero makes life about Jesus. A villain makes life about us, 
But a hero makes life about Jesus. This is something that Herod never realized. When he heard the news that Jesus had been born, Herod could only think about the threat that this newborn king of the Jews was to his crown. Herod never stopped to think about the good news that the people of Israel had been waiting centuries to hear, that the Messiah had arrived. That's good news for us all. Because knowing that Jesus came into this world, it tells us that God loved us so much that God wanted to become one of us. God wanted to become one of us because God wanted to know about the hurt that you have in your life. God wanted to know about the pain that you have in your life. God wanted to experience the brokenness that you have in your life firsthand because God wants to help you and God wants to heal you. God wants to make sure that nothing separates you from him and the life that God wants you to live. Herod never realized that the arrival of Jesus into this world was good news for the entire world. And it's good news for all of us today. It doesn't matter if you have never been inside of a church before. It doesn't matter if you come to church every week. This is good news for us all. That Jesus entered into this world because God loves us so much he can't stand for anything to come between us. So he experienced all that it means to be human, to make sure that nothing keeps you away from him. So here's my challenge for you this week. If you want to make sure that you don't become the villain in your own story. This week, make sure that you're not making life all about you. Because that's what a villain does. They're only focused in on what they can get. But a hero makes life about Jesus. Living like Jesus lived. Following Jesus and what we do. Extending that love to those that we meet. So find ways to be a little more selfless this week instead of being selfish. Find ways to love other people instead of only focusing in on yourself. It can be little things. Today's Halloween. There's going to be plenty of people, plenty of kids that are out trick-or-treating today. Sometimes loving other people means sharing that favorite piece of candy instead of trading out all the junk you don't want for the good stuff in your brother or your sister's buckets. I know, I'm a third child. My brothers always pull that stuff on me, try to get all my good stuff and leave me the junk that they didn't want to eat. But there's so many other things that we can do. So find ways to love others. Find ways to show that love of God. Find ways to put yourself second and other people first. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, we just thank you for the reminder that we had today of what it means for us to try to be heroes in our own stories, God. We know that villains want to make life all about them. But that's not what you want from us, God. You call us to make life all about you. Putting ourselves last, putting you and putting other people first. So God, help us to find ways that we can show your selfless love in this world all around us. Help us find ways that we can help other people, serve other people, and love other people the way that you do. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has challenged you to not make life about you, but to make your life about following Jesus. 
So find ways this week that you can put yourself last and put other people first. Now, in our next episode, we're going to continue on thinking about and discussing the stories of some of the most infamous villains in the Bible. And we're going to continue to learn from them to make sure that you don't become the villain in your story. And next week, we're going to be talking about another king. We're going to be talking about King Saul. So we hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that next episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And while you're there, make sure you leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word about this podcast to other people. Also, remember, you don't have to wait for our next podcast to drop in order to join us and hear one of our sermons. You're always welcome to join us as we worship together online every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash life. We would love to have you join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you guys have a great week. I'll be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.